you stand for the reading of God's Word? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor dust or rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The word of the Lord. This fall, we're taking six weeks to consider our mission statement, which is that we here at RPC believe that we are called to be transformed by the cross, to grow in community, and to cultivate our hearts to love God and others. And we believe that that's a pretty good summary of the exhortation of the gospel itself. And so we've spent two weeks on what it means to have our minds transformed by the cross, We've spent two weeks on what it means to be drawn and knit together as one body in Christ and to have loving relationships. And today we begin to consider the notion of cultivate and why that's chosen as one of the three parts of our mission statement. A cultivate is the idea that you would tend something to make it productive. Just like a farmer would tend the field and he would cultivate the soil and he would root out the weeds and he would nourish the soil to promote good growth so that there would be an abundance of fruit or an abundance of harvest. That's what we're called to do with our hearts and something that requires intentionality. It's something that also we'll see requires uh, community. But to evaluate this notion of cultivate today, we're considering two passages that are the same teaching, 
but with slightly different emphases both in Matthew and Luke. We're looking uh, in both places at the teaching that is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking about money throughout, even though there are different illustrations and different images and different uh, emphases. The whole section is about money, and considering money and discipleship is a great way to evaluate not only discipleship, but what it means to cultivate our hearts. Money is one of the most deceitful and alluring of all things, right? They can lead us in the wrong direction. We don't talk very much about money. In fact, I think money is uh, often put on the back burner because we like to be private. We don't like to relay how greedy we might be. We don't like to relay what percentage goes to kingdom work and what percentage goes to our own desires and wants. And so it, it becomes impolite to have such discussions, which can be a very helpful way of, of hiding sin in some regards, right? If, we're not, um, if we don't consider more deeply the notion of money. If you have any question about how important it is to uh, be at least self-reflective, if not reflective in some form of community about money, realize that apart from speaking of the kingdom and of himself as the son of man, Jesus has more to say about money than any other subject, you can't really be a disciple of Jesus and say, uh, well, money is kind of a relative thing. It wasn't relative for Jesus, and he takes the issue up all the time. And so we take it up this morning, not just to talk about money, but remember, and I'll remind you at the end, but try to remember as we go through that what Jesus is saying about money is a lens by which to evaluate the notion of what it means to cultivate our hearts, right? to cultivate our entire lives to move toward God. So, uh, we're going to jump in, and we're just going to follow the flow of the passage, right? Jesus is is executing a very particular, uh, in one sense, he's herding cattle in the direction he wants them to go. So, one teaching leads into the next, one teaching anticipates the questions, and then answers those questions as he proceeds, and we'll see this as uh, his teaching uh, um, unfolds. We'll begin in Matthew Uh, in verses uh, 19 and 20 of chapter 6. And Jesus makes the point to the disciples. He says, listen, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, why would we do that? What's the difference? He says, treasures on earth are subject to decay. Moths, thieves, rust are all going to steal those possessions, those treasures from you. Now, this might seem a little bit odd. You might think to yourself, well, my money is secure in an FDIC-insured institution, and I don't really have to worry about moths. And so you might miss Jesus' intent. But realize in the ancient world, for the vast majority of people, if you had any money extra, it would usually be contained in one of three things, coinage, idols for your house, or clothes. And so now you see that, well, clothes can easily be destroyed by moths. And idols and coinage can easily rust, or in the ancient world, they could easily be stolen. You lived in a clay house. Somebody would dig through the side of your house uh, while you were away, would walk in, take whatever they wanted, and escape through the hole that they had made and be gone pretty quick. So uh, robbery was a fairly common thing in the ancient world. And Jesus is saying, does it make a lot of sense to pour all of your investment into these earthly treasures, which are gone so easily, rather than to pour yourself into heavenly treasures? Even from a logical investment perspective, this doesn't make very much sense. And boys and girls, I want to invite you to even begin to think about 
what it means to make good heavenly investment options. Many of you celebrated Halloween and went trick-or-treating. You got loads of candy. Right? You started to come home and evaluate your take on the candy patrol and to trade and to make deals. Now imagine you're hanging out with friends and you're trading some of your candy and your friend walks out of the room and you decide, I really want some of the candy they're not willing to part with. And so you steal a bunch of their candy. And towards the end of the evening, they say, they realize that you've taken my candy. They say, I'm hurt. You took my candy. You stole it. You did this without asking. Why did you do this? And what do you say? You say, I don't care. I want that candy. And I don't care about you. And so I'm taking the candy and walking. Now your friend is flabbergasted. They don't know what to say. But you go home, you eat most of the candy on the way, sneaking it against your parents' wisdom and good advice not to eat too much candy. You eat as much as you can and you spend the night throwing up. And then you wake up in the morning and you have no friends, right, because you've ditched them all for candy. Was that a good decision? Do you wake up in the morning saying, oh, I made good investments in the last 12 hours? No, you made horrible investments. It was really foolish, right? You chose candy over friendship. That's, who would do that? Well, boys and girls, realize that your pastor and your parents and everyone gathered here is doing that all the time in the sense that we're always investing in earthly treasures rather than heavenly treasures. And that's just as silly as a mistake as choosing candy over friends. Right? We're always making that bad decision. It's something we're very prone to. Now, this becomes a bigger problem because what you'll see as we go through is that Jesus is going up the ante progressively as we move through our passage. And you might think initially, say, okay, it's just an investment strategy. I need to start doing more good deeds. I need to stockpile things in heaven. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not about that. It's actually about your heart, right? This isn't simply about money, but about what money reveals. In verse 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to find someone's heart, look at their treasure. What do they truly value? What do they protect? What do they talk about and think about? and spend more time polishing or making sure it's safe or describing uh, and appreciating to friends. Well, if you find their treasure, you find their heart. Or if you look at someone's heart and what direction it runs, you find their treasure, right? It can go either way. Jesus says, don't be mistaken. This isn't simply about you getting, um, you know, you could initially consider Jesus' teaching on heavenly treasure and earthly treasure and think, oh, I, this is all about stockpiling stuff for myself in heaven. And that's not what Jesus is after at all. Right? He's saying this is about a heart that's inclined towards the kingdom or inclined towards self. Right? It's not about the treasure aspect. The treasure aspect will take care of itself. It's the heart that is the problem because it pursues the wrong treasure. We might ask, where then are our hearts? What treasures are they really pursuing? What treasures are the, is the culture in which we exist really pursuing? A few fun facts about American society and money. The average household has how many items in it? 300,000. About 10% of households rent a storage unit. The average person who takes out a car loan borrows $27,000 for that car. 68% of people live paycheck to paycheck less than $800 to cover them until the next paycheck. Annually, over $220 per person is spent on the lottery, which in 2014 totaled $70 billion. 
26% of households have no emergency savings whatsoever. In 1950, the average home size was 1,000 square feet. In the decade since then, it has almost tripled. The average home size now is uh, over 2,600 square feet. The average uh, household with credit card debt, which is about 50% of the country, has uh, more than $15,000 in debt. Now, this isn't a study on the church. I'm not saying this is true of you. I don't even know what's true of you. I don't know what your finances look like. But in a sense, right, if a fish swims in water and we swim in American culture and American culture is given over to excessive materialism and greed to the extent that many people in the country are willing to live in a financially precarious situation in order to have what they want, then I'm going to go out on a limb just a little bit and assume that we have that same tendency, that same tendency to buy more than we need to fill our house with more things than we may actually use or that may actually even be good for us. That we have the tendency to spend first on us and secondly on other things that might need it. In other words, if we looked at our spending, I think to some extent for all of us, it would demonstrate a level of greed, a level in which our heart is possessed by a money treasure, mammon, rather than by a treasure of the kingdom which Jesus is going to go on and say, well, that kind of treasure, when the heart really loves it, looks like a, uh, a, willing to li- a willingness to live very simply in order to be able to give more away. Now, again, I told you Jesus was going to keep upping the ante. And indeed, he does that because he says, right? he said, make sure you invest in heavenly treasure rather than earthly treasure. He says, but wait, it's not just about stockpiling treasure, it's about your heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. But before you think you can just flip the switch of your heart and move in a different direction, you better understand that this is more complicated. And he uses an analogy that's hard for us to understand. In fact, we've lost some of the the thinking behind it. And so you need to look at it with me uh, in order to understand it. And it's in verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 6. Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Okay, what is that about? Now, a lot of times I hear somebody will read that quickly and say, oh, well, this is about what you look at is going to affect your heart. And that's not really what is going on here. You need to understand a little bit about how the ancients saw the human eye. The human eye was seen as a lamp to the interior of the body. So, which kind of makes sense if you think about it. You know, when do you feel like light has flooded you? Well, when you open your eyes and you have the ability to see and interact with the world. And uh, when you close your eyes, what's your sen- what do you experience inside your brain? Darkness, right? So the eyes are the lamp letting light into the body. This was the notion in the ancient world. But it even went beyond that. And uh, Jesus is drawing upon a large body of Old Testament Uh, kind of Jewish theology that we don't have time to go into, but the gist is this. There was thought to be, somebody could have a good eye, or uh, or, um, a person could be possessed with good eyes or be possessed with bad eyes, or you might have heard the language evil eye. Now, a good eye was characterized by generosity. Someone who wasn't greedy but was generous was said to have good eyes, and those good eyes let a lot of light into the body. 
right? So their, li- their life was illuminated. But if you had bad eyes you, or an evil eye, you were stingy. You didn't look upon uh, those in need with any kind of grace. You reserved things for yourself. And as a result, you let less light into your body. Darkness went into your body. Your life is not illuminated. And Jesus says, how great is the darkness? That that darkness actually begins to take hold of the person. Um, and greed is kind of a black hole. You know, once you start going down into that pole, you need more and more in order to be satisfied. And that's the darkness that Jesus is talking about, the tradition that he's, he's drawing upon. And so we have to acknowledge, I think, in some ways, that if we live in a culture that is not generous, right, then it's a culture of bad eyes. And it's a culture, then, of darkness continuing to permeate individuals and the culture in which we live so that we have the tendency or the temptation to become more and more greedy and less and less generous. And to what extent do we partake in that? Now, if you're thinking, well, I don't know, you know, what really, if we make, if I buy some things for myself, what are we talking about here? What really is this darkness? Understand some of the things that happen to us when we possess more and go down a road of seeking to possess more. There have been lots of studies on the effect of money and wealth on the human individual. Here are a few uh, summary observations. Number one, we rationalize advantage by convincing ourselves we deserve it. So if you find yourself in a place where you have acquired something, right, our tendency is to say, well, I have earned that, and so I get to enjoy it. You know, you don't, sometimes you'll hear this, but I don't think you hear it very often. Somebody say, you know, uh, I was born to two really smart people. And uh, I had some money set aside for me to go to a better college. And, uh, you know, I worked really hard, um, but I learned that work ethic growing up. And so on and so forth, the acknowledgement that there are multiple factors that flow into, not to mention, you know what, I was born in America and not in Nigeria, which pretty much made all the difference in the world in the outcome of my life. Right? And awareness of there are a lot of factors at play that aren't related to how hard we work. Now, I'm not trying to downplay hard work, but as you have more wealth, the tendency is to rationalize it more and more. This is demonstrated in a really fascinating way. They got a hundred strangers to play Monopoly together, and they gave half the people an advantage. They got more money to begin with, they got more money when they passed go, and they got to roll more die. And so the game proceeds, and the people who have all these advantages, they start trash-talking. They start acting like they're the best Monopoly player the world ever seen. And when they finished and won, they bragged about their real estate insight and wisdom and their investment decisions, right? Never acknowledging that the game was totally rigged from the beginning for them to be successful, right? They rationalized the superiority that they wanted to engage. Number two, people who make less are more generous. This is almost unequivocal and across the board, right? That the... um, People at the lower end of an economic spectrum tend to be far more generous than the people higher up in the economic spectrum. The more you make, the less you give away. And this becomes particularly true if you are wealthy and then are in an enclave um, in which you are buffered from people who have less. So if you not only make a lot of money but then went to live in a very elite kind of place that's gated and you didn't have much interaction with the world, those people give the, less, the least amount uh, to charitable causes in the world. Why? Because they've cut themselves off from need. 
They don't see need. They don't have to rub shoulders with need. And so they can enjoy their money without necessarily feeling the same guilt and shame. Number three, rich people are more likely to ignore pedestrians. This was a study of fancy high-end cars at pulling up to an intersection, random intersections uh, against other lower-end cars. And pedestrians were planted to try to cross the street. You, uh, you don't want to try to cross the street when there's a really expensive car going by because those pedestrians fared poorly and often didn't make it across the street because that car wasn't going to slow down or remain stopped to let them cross the street. All right, so the more wealth you have, the more important you think you are and the more willing you are uh, to walk over other people. Uh, number uh, five, those with less, um, well, just interestingly in terms of the reverse, those with less are better at reading facial expressions. And what that means is those with less are better at expressing empathy. Now, the reason for this, you can't necessarily say that X is the reason for this, but one of the parts of this is that they're better at expressing empathy because they are closer to having experienced what other people are experiencing. The further away you get from experiencing hardship or tragedy or being without, the harder you have expressing empathy toward that place. So in all those ways, right, those five ways, right, we see that um, the more someone has, and I, please don't, you know, let's not misquote Pastor Ryan today. I'm not saying it's wrong to have money. And I'm not saying uh, you're going to be corrupted inevitably if you, have, if you have wealth. But what I am saying, right, the more we have, and part of the reason I'm saying this is you have to realize that we're part of the, one of the richest nations in the world, is we all suffer then the tendency and the temptation, right, to, to do all of these things, which I think are simply descriptions and scientific studies on the darkness that Jesus is describing. Right? When our eyes are bad, we're selfish and non-generous, and we tend to, um, and then we become, uh, we, we have to do all these things. We rationalize our own success. And then the, all of these have an inverse, right? If I rationalize my own success and someone is not being successful, what do I have to do? I have to rationalize their lack of success. Right? So they're unsuccessful because they're lazy. They don't work as hard. They, um, you know, for whatever, they spend too much time doing bad things. Right? And therefore, um, therefore, I've actually dehumanized a person potentially right, while trying to build up myself and, and justify my wealth. So, all right, where are we now? Jesus said, you better invest in heavenly treasure rather than earthly treasure. Great. But understand that it really has to do with your heart. Your treasure is where your heart is. Okay, well, I'm going to get busy about shaping my heart. But wait, no, it's really quite complicated because you might have bad eyes. In fact, to the degree that you're not a generous person, you already have bad eyes. And it's not letting very much light into your body, which means you're not illuminated, which means you'll have a terrible time changing course because you're already pretty sick. And your heart is after the wrong treasure. And as a result, you won't have very much heavenly treasure. This is starting to be a bit of a bleak or challenging picture, right? You say, well, okay. I'm just going to do better, and I'm going to do better with, with money. And I think sometimes we go down that road, and so we say, you know, you, you could examine this or consider it from the perspective of finding $500 in the Walmart parking lot. It's your lucky day. What are you going to do? Well, because you are a follower of Jesus and an honest person, you rush right into the information whatever booth in Walmart, and you turn it in. You say, I found $500 in the parking lot. 
I say, great, thank you. We'll see if anybody claims it. 30 days goes by, nobody claims it. They call you up. They say, hey, nobody's claimed to have lost $500. Uh, we wait 30 days, and then we return it to the person who found it. It's your lucky day. So you have $500. What are you going to do? $500. Are you going to spend it? Now, some of you are thinking, if you really think about this, you say, oh, well, that's sweet. I'm going to get X. I'm going to Home Depot right now. And I've been waiting to buy that, and now suddenly I have the provision to get it. Some of you, perhaps, are just righteous, and you understand this passage, and you don't need to be sitting here this morning because you know that you would immediately give all of it to the poor. You, uh, you did not earn it. It was a gift, and it, it's an opportunity to show grace. Okay. Now, others of you will say, oh, I'm going to be sure to tithe on this because I don't want to get any bad mojo with God. And so he gets $50, but now I have $450 to spend any way that I want, and I'm in the clear with God, so I'm in a really good place. And Jesus knows you're thinking this, right? Because he goes on immediately in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Boy, tough language. Either or, not both and. You're either going to love God or you're going to love money. You can't do both. You're either going to be devoted to one and despise the other. So do you, are you devoted to God and despise money? Or do you despise money and are you devoted to God? Because you can't have two masters. There can only be one master of the house. And so who is the master? Which side of the road uh, do you work? do you walk on? Now, now it's gotten real. And now we need to turn over to Luke because Luke, gosh. I was, so the reason we're doing this, really curious aspect of, um, particularly between Matthew and Luke, this is just an aside comment. First service didn't even get it, but because I consider second service to be theologically more astute. No, don't tell anybody I said that. Um, no, the reason that we're switching over to Luke, now remember, we've got the same exact teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, but Luke is going to include some teaching of Jesus that Matthew doesn't. Luke often does this, particularly when it's related to the poor. And one of the funny distinctions you get um, between Matthew and Luke, a good example is the Beatitudes. When G, uh, Matthew records Jesus as saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, when Luke records it, it's what? Blessed are the poor not in spirit, right? So what you get, you know, Jesus is probably teaching a lot of this stuff in multiple places and multiple times and saying it in slightly different ways. But what you get when you compare Matthew and Luke, what you get out of Luke is a dramatic emphasis on the poor, a dramatic emphasis on a disciple of Jesus being willing to hold his resources with an open hand so that he can benefit those who are in need, that this is actually a, um, an, a non-negotiable, unquestionable aspect of participating in the kingdom of God. And this is why we, we turn over to uh, Luke 12. And beginning in 33, I'm sorry, in 22, in 22 through 31, what Luke has to say is that, uh, uh, or what Jesus has to say is the place that I think he's been driving to all along. Remember I said earlier that he's like driving cattle to the pen. You get to this place and you realize Jesus says, really, this whole discussion is a discussion not about money. It's a discussion about trust. It's a discussion about where your faith is going to lie because your money is going to follow your faith. 
Jesus already indicated this when he talked about heart and treasure being indicators of the same thing. But here he says, does God care for his world? Do you see birds, you know, dying of hunger? No, he provides for them, right? Has he not clothed the lilies of the field in great splendor? Yes, of course he has. Well, here's the the point of it all. Does he not care more for you than he does for the birds? More for you than the lilies of the field? Jesus didn't die for nature. He died for you. He died to redeem those who were in rebellion. The author of Hebrews will say that Jesus died for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. There's only one thing that Jesus gets after resurrection that he did not have before, and that's you. And so for that, do you not believe that God will care for you? And that God will provide for your needs? Now that's tough and from one perspective because I, I'm willing to bet you an arm and a leg and maybe my whole house that God's definition of needs is a lot different than your definition of needs. And so being willing to be content with that is, is part of surrendering a lot and saying, okay, God, you get to define need, but I trust you to provide, but this ena- enables me to live with less. And I don't really need more because I look forward to an eternity of utter abundance. Right? It's kind of like... Um, I don't know, I shouldn't do this on the fly, but I'm just saying, it's, it's like, a, you know, say, so today's Sunday, say Tuesday, you know, you, it's, it's Thanksgiving, and you're going to have an enormous feast, but you decide you're going to go and make and eat as much as you can tomorrow. Be like, why would you do that? Why would you, you know you're going to eat as much as you possibly can the net following down Thanksgiving. Why are you doing this? But when we stockpile, and hoard, and, and acquire right here, and we're entering into eternal life of utter abundance, it's that same kind of nonsense. What, what's the point? What is, it, what is it all going to do but be consumed by moth and rust and thieves? And so, God, Jesus invites you to trust the provision of the Father. He invites you to say, yeah, I trust the Father to provide my needs, and therefore, I challenge myself, I think the proper application to all of us today in this day and age would be, okay, how can I live with radically less? What are the things that I can part with? And uh, if, realize that this is a, exactly where Jesus goes. If you look at 33 and 34, you want to you talk about application today, let's do that. Here's your application. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. The followers of Jesus sell their possessions and give to the needy. Start to think, well, what does that mean? Well, there's certainly a lot of things I can sell I don't need. I've got a bicycle I haven't ridden in years. I've got golf clubs I haven't swung in years. For what? Why not sell those? Why not give those proceeds, right, to those who are in need? But that's easy stuff. That's talking about stuff that I don't mind parting with. That's stuff that clutters my house. Um, one of the funny aspects of some of the stats, one of the ones I skipped, is that the average person spends 12 days per year looking for things they can't find. So maybe if we just followed Jesus' teaching, we'd actually get whole days back in our life because if you have less, it won't be as hard to find the things that you actually need amongst all the clutter that you have. But what would it mean to even go beyond that? Not to part with things that you're willing to part with, but to part with something that's valuable. What would it mean for each of us to go home this week and say, I love that. 
it's really a treasure to me. It has, it's, it has meaning to me. It has value to me. I consider it an investment. And that's not part of Jesus' kingdom. So I'm going to go and sell it, and I'm going to give to the needy. Now, some of you come up to me regularly and you say, I don't know who the needy are. What do I do? I don't know who the poor are, right? Here we're blessed with our relationship with uh, CRI, Children's Relief International. They exist. Their mission statement is take the light of Christ to the poor. And so if you don't know where to send your money, you can always write a check to CRI. And that money will be spent in good fashion towards those who are most in need in the church and the world. And this is what it means, finally, right, to begin to talk about what to have our hearts possessed by the right treasure. And the last thing I'll say is just would you, would you begin with me to think about how freeing that would really be? Right, think about the more things that you have, the more things you have to fix. The more cluttered your life is, the more decisions you have to make, it just complicates your life. What if you're able to actually follow the teachings of Jesus and you realize that as a result of doing that, your life was more free, your life was less cluttered, and you had more time and more energy and more money to invest on the kingdom, which brought more light into your life, which produced a more illuminated life, which brought more pleasure and joy of Christ than if you went down the road that culture goes down, which simply brings darkness. Where is your treasure? There your heart will be also. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you are a generous God, abundant in loving kindness and mercy, sharing with us uh, the glory of your character, the glory of heaven, the glory of being redeemed, all because you were willing to spend lavishly upon us to redeem us. So we thank you this morning. We ask that you would forgive our selfishness and our greediness. We ask that you would make us a people liberal with our resources, that indeed we would be faithful to your simple command. Gosh, it's so simple. Uh, sell our possessions and give to the needy. Uh, would you help us to be, uh, to be brave and courageous and to do it and not just talk about it? Amen.